profit. Um, uh, major profit, we just talked about the difference between minor and major profits over the last couple of weeks. Um, Jeremiah is also known as the crying prophet. Uh, throughout Jeremiah, he, he, um, was, there, he was warning uh, Judah. He was warning the Israelites, change your ways, change your ways. It hurt him so bad that he wept. Well, then I was like, look, if we don't change, things are not going to be good. And he just wept and he cried and he cried throughout all um, the book of Jeremiah. And, and also in our reading this morning, it talks about the balm of Gilead. I think we've heard, a lot of us have heard that balm of Gilead. We've seen the psalm there. A balm is healing ointment. Um, the balm is healing ointment. And um, I invite you now to listen to God's word. If you want to read along, you may. It's on page 709 in the Old Testament section. My joy is gone, and grief is upon me, and my heart is sick. Listen, the cry of the daughter of my people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Oh, why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people, I am broken. I mourn, and horror has seized me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Friends, is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Looking around the religious landscape of our culture, I've noticed that healing tends to get talked about in one of two different ways. I heard it actually referred to once as these healings being called loud healings and quiet healings. Loud healing involves a lot of shouting. It uses plenty of expansive hand gestures and often stretches the name of Jesus into four syllables. Jesus. Quiet healing uses words like holiness and journey. It tends to avoid large crowds. And is pretty resistant to definitions. Except keeping in distance from loud healing. But there's another thing I've also observed about healing. If the healing is working, the person's receiving the care, it could care less if it's loud healing or quiet healing. And when it's not working, we often ask, why? This is where we find Jeremiah. Is there no balm in Gilead? In other words, I see the healing ointments around. I see the physicians. Then why are my people not being restored? There are a lot of healing stories in scriptures and throughout our scripture. It's easy to, to glaze over each one of them and think, ah, just another healing story. But in fact, there's no such thing as just a healing story. For every healing story in the Bible therefore, is there for a reason. And it's telling us something specific about salvation. Because in the Bible, healing and salvation are more or less the same thing. We may find that hard to grasp. 
Because what we tend to do is when we tend to think about healing, we think about it being the present thing within one's body. While salvation, we think to be a future thing for one's soul. But that's not the case when the Bible is saying salvation. When the Bible says salvation, it refers to everything that God wants for us. It's saying that everything God wants for the world in every way that God touches us. For the Bible, healing is the same. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician here? When then has the health of these poor people not been restored? Healing is salvation. Salvation is healing. Jeremiah is not asking for a physician to heal bodies. What Jeremiah is asking God for is salvation. After the 2015 terrorist attacks in Paris, the poem, what they did yesterday afternoon went viral. It was written by a poet and activist, uh, Washon Shire, and it reads, They set my aunt's house on fire. I cry the way women on TV do, folding at the middle, like a five-pound note. I call the boy who used to love me, tried to okay my voice. I said, hello. He said, Washon, what's wrong? What's happening? I've been praying, and these are what my prayers look like. Dear God, I come from two countries. One is thirsty, the other is on fire. Both need water. Later that night, I held an atlas in my lap. I ran my, ran my fingers across the whole world, and I whispered, Where does it hurt? It answered, Everywhere. Everywhere everywhere. In a recent survey, it revealed that more than half of Americans are extremely worried about the future of the United States. Three times the proportion of those who are extremely hopeful. Perhaps some of us have caught ourselves holding the globe, watching the news, reading the newspaper, scrolling through social media, wondering with all the resources that we have, where's the healing? Will our nation, let alone the world, ever be saved? If Jeremiah asks the same question, he, he has nothing left in him but tears. Jeremiah's crying, oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my people. There's so much fruit from tears, Luke Powery has observed. Uh, tears have, are themselves a ministry. It's a prophetic ministry to cry. It's important to remember that as a prophet, Jeremiah was to ultimately be a, a, the gift for welfare and well-being of the nation as a whole. When Jeremiah cries, he, he yearns for the restoration of his people 
which is why he asked, why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? As a prophet, he not only stands over against them as a mouthpiece of God, he stands with them in mourning and in grief at the imperial, their future funeral. He sheds a fountain of tears as an aspect of, of prophetic work. His grief is prophetic because he refuses to be silent. Even in the face of horror, or in terror, or injustice, Jeremiah does not shrink back by worsening the, the raw grief of life. Just the opposite. His tears, his vulnerability gives him strength. And the Bible yearns for us to know this. And not only that, the Bible gives us all permission to be that vulnerable. So your tears and my tears our church's tears is our way of saying, look, life is not right. I think when God sees us cry, I think God anguishes and, and God cries as well. But I also can't help to imagine that God gets a little bit of excited. For when we hold that globe in our hand, in our trembling hands, or, or when we cry over news of our screens, or when our tears wet the newspaper, what we're doing is feeling the pain of the world. I think God gets motivated by this. And we are admitting in that such pain that we ourselves cannot save the world. What we are doing is that the world's healing, we are saying the world's healing is more than we can handle alone. God swoops in. Is there a balm in Gilead? The prophet asks. Our tears would suggest, yes, there is. God says, yes, there is. Now get out of the way and come with me as we heal the world. Dr. Judith Orloff is a clinical professor of psychology at UCLA. She suggests that we should all get excited about tears because she has witnessed the healing power of tears. Tears are a release of a valve for stress and grief. It releases anxiety and frustration. It releases joy even. Tears are a way to purge pimp emotions so that they do not remain in the body as stress symptoms. After crying many times, our heart rate can decrease and we can enter a calmer state. We can relax. And continuous and emotional tears make us feel better, they, uh, both physically and emotionally. Crying can be thought of a psychological and emotional detox through which one can be healed. Uh, Dr. Orloff says that not to hold back tears at all because crying is healthy. Crying leads to healing. Healing is a salvation, and salvation is healing. And the Bible knows this. 
the Bible gives you and me permission to cry. I wonder, without only the Bible's permission, but the encouragement, actually, of the Bible, why does the church find it so difficult to be vulnerable? I've mentioned this before, but I find it fascinating. When 28-year-old Carrie O'Brien's boyfriend ended their relationship for weeks after she joked with her friends, I got dumped, and then I realized I was picking my lunch places based off where I could do my best crying. And that led her to start a website, New York City Crying Guide. Immediately, people flooded the site with recommendations. Good places to cry, the Build-A-Bear Teddy Bear Workshop on Fifth Avenue. If you want to be treated like a real person, despite your overflowing tears, go there immediately. The ATM, ATM lobby of Bank of America on 5th and 48th, it's an average place, basis with no thrills, but a great place to cry. And a subway, especially the 7th train. Um, I cry on subway every day. It's a crier's dream. You might well want to avoid the AT&T store near Bryant Park. When you're feeling on the brink of tears, let's just say... AT&T, I not, will not be returning to your store to cry any longer. You know what's nervously missing about this expansive list? Not one church. You get Build-A-Bear workshop, but not one community of faith with folks going looking for places of vulnerability. So often we, the big C church, we talk about wanting to grow. If the church wants to grow, not just with numbers, but faithfully, here's a hint to us all. Follow Jesus. And guess how Jesus' ministry thrived? Which, by the way, scared the world so much they killed him for it. So be careful. Jesus grew his ministry by being vulnerable. By touching the real things that drive human life. Jesus felt their pain. It turns Jesus gave us permission then to sit with others to show our own vulnerability and to be with others in their vulnerability. Jesus invites us to cry with each other. Earlier in the book of Jeremiah, we hear God refer to God's self as the fountain of the living water. And the people are referred to as cracked water tanks that can hold no water at all, suggesting that God is our living water, and apart from God, we will all be dry and be thirsty. But it's in Jeremiah's grief that Jeremiah is full of water. So much of his head is a spring of water. His, his eyes are a fountain of tears. For in his tears is the presence of God. God is the living water. And that water is our holy weeping. Through vulnerability, God reminds us that weeping permits newness. And newness permits 
hope. Hope permits healing, and healing is salvation. And salvation is healing. In a Christian community outside of Edinburgh, there's an extraordinary stone statue of two men kneeling, facing each other in this tender embrace. Their heads are on one of their shoulders, and one of these men is Adam, representing all of humanity. The other is Christ. The stone is so woven together that it's hard to distinguish between these two men if it wasn't for uh, that nail hole in one of their hands. This is the embrace that we all thirst to find. And is only given to us by the grace of God who finds us. We don't save ourselves. God sent Jesus to save us. Then uh, there is a tender embrace that God has given us life to point that we have the potential to be more like Christ. So with Christ, we can become more vulnerable. Moving to a space where we are comfortable with our tears. And you are comfortable with my tears. A space where I can feel your pain. And you can feel mine. A space that together with Christ, we feel the pain of the world. And we weep. I don't know what it is about vulnerability that makes it so hard. So hard to provide a place where people feel comfortable to cry or to sit in a space where I feel comfortable just to open up or a space where we feel comfortable to embrace one another in all walks of life. I don't know why it's so difficult. Maybe, maybe it's so hard because it's uncomfortable. Because it's uncomfortable because we think that we need to fix the problem. And we don't know how. I don't know. All I know is that we live in a world that is hurting. A world that could care less if it has loud healing or quiet healing. And whether they know it or not, it's a world, though, that wants healing. And maybe we can become more comfortable with that raw vulnerability when we realize that we cannot fix anything. Our job has never been to heal the world. Our job is to follow Jesus in love the world. Fixing it? That's on God's plate. After all, God gave us his son to save the world. And saving is healing. And healing is saving. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.